And so yesterday we said prayer is one of the biggest weapons that God has given us because it is through prayer that we call God on the scene. We're talking about elements of the believer's prayer life. We're talking about how to move into that point where your prayers are answered. That prayer doesn't just become a religious observance or just a religious thing where you just tick the box and whether it gets answered or it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you. Prayer does work. Tell three people prayer works. Tell three people prayer works. I said three people, not two people. Tell them again. Prayer works. Prayer works. No wonder God said, my house, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And when you read, anytime God moved in a major way in the world, whether you read in the Bible, times of restitution, restoration, days of revival, renewal, visitation, whatever term you want to use, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Whether it was even the promises that God had made, isn't it amazing? Joel gave a prophecy, it shall come to pass. In the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my servants, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. Even upon your handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And it talks about how I will show signs in the heavens above. And then he will show things on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then he says, and it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Zion there shall be deliverance. That even when that prophecy was given, and God had said the outpouring would come, and John repeated it. When he was baptizing people, he says, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who comes after me is greater than I. And I'm not even qualified to tie his shoelaces. When he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Even if that prophecy was repeated, before the outpouring, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, when he met with his disciples, he gives them a command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he tells them everything, but then he says, but before you go, <laughs> you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But then he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. That word wait doesn't mean like when you're waiting for the taxi or when you're waiting for the bus where you sit passively hoping that the taxi arrives. But that word wait is exactly what we find in the book of Isaiah. They that wait upon the Lord. I love it. It says they shall renew their strength. And the word renew their strength, that word renew is an amazing term. 
Not only does it speak about freshness and newness or an exchange of power, but it speaks about the act of intertwining. When you wait upon the Lord, you renew your strength. You intertwine with the Lord and that which is upon the Lord comes upon you. That which feels God comes upon you because there's an act of intertwining. But the, the condition is to wait upon the Lord. They will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will, they will, they will run and not be weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Because they've waited upon the Lord, there will be new strength upon their lives. There'll be a new journey and a new walk. They will go further than they've gone before. They will do what they were not able to do before because they waited upon the Lord. They intertwined with the Lord. They waited upon the Lord. And that word wait means to come with expectancy in a time of prayer before God. Because it is in prayer where there's an exchange of life. Jesus, when he talks about prayer, he says, when you pray, go into your closet, go into your bridal chamber, go into your bedroom. Because in prayer, even though we may not want to use that expression, what happens in the bedroom between a married couple as they go into the bridal chamber to engage in in the act of marriage is not only is it a time of love and pleasure, but it's a time of procreation and life-giving and pregnancy. It's a time where the monotony of not having children, of, or rather of not bearing or conceiving, I should say, is interrupted when the seed is introduced into the womb of a woman. It's a time when life is conceived and life is born and life is brought into the world. It's a life-giving experience. It is from the act of marriage in the bridal chamber that new life comes on the scene and a new season comes on the scene. Prayer was not meant to be something that is lifeless and boring. It was meant to be an experience that when you come out of it, you should have conceived something from the Holy Spirit and something should have been born in your heart. It's as a result of that prayer that a new season gets born and a new time gets born. Why? Because you went into the bridal chamber and you waited. So when Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem and wait, they understood how you wait. So we find them up in the upper room praying. My goodness, they were waiting. Oh, we have come to wait to that. Can I hear an amen in the house? So they prayed for 40 days. Now watch. Isn't it interesting? Even if God had promised that the Holy Spirit would come, what activated the prophecy was the praying. I was talking about it yesterday. Prayer activates. Prayer brings into reality that which God has said. And so it is through that praying, Bazalana, that as we wait upon the Lord, new life comes. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So the first element of prayer we talked about yesterday was fervency. That when we pray, we must be fervent. Tell your neighbor, you must be fervent. Tell them, to be fervent means to boil and to be hot. Tell them. No, in South Africa we say hot. We mustn't be these passive people who half-heartedly talk to God. We must be people filled with passion. I want to go to the second one. And this one tonight, I'm praying to God that God would really, really do something in your spirit as I speak right now. So that when we pray tonight, this can be a reality. 
in your life, in your heart. The second thing is desire. Desire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, if you can have that up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6 and 7. It says, nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of titles. Next verse. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind towards me, so that I rejoiced the more. It says, Titus told me about your earnest desire, your mourning. Somebody say desire. desire. Say it again. Desire. It's not just desire, it's earnest desire. Now, that word earnest desire is something that was recognized by Titus when he visited the church in Corinth and he told Paul about it. Now watch this, Pastor There's something that happens when the real God cry, the real God prayer, and the real God yearning gets hold of our spirit. I want to share that with you tonight. When God lays it on your heart to pray and to intercede and as a result he lays a burden on your spirit. This heart's desire is not something that you can manufacture but it is something that is spirit initiated and spirit born. God lays it on your heart to intercede. Then this burden that's in your heart becomes the paramount issue on your heart. You know, I'm so glad Maobane, one of our members, and I won't give him after the service spoke to me very briefly and told me about something that's been happening in his life that he has had these dreams where he has seen accidents happen, plane crashes in particular and they've all happened and of course they've had other dreams about other things but I was more into the plane crashes part and he said he has had a dream recently about another and then he said, he realized yesterday when I was preaching that the one thing that he didn't do was to follow through in prayer when that happened. Yeah. This is important. This is very important. Your spirit is the means by which God communicates with you. Are you, are you, are you, are you there, Bazaar? Your spirit. I got a testimony even today of a, I haven't even told mama because it happened in the morning. One of the ministers I relate with, Pastor uh, uh, Kunle Oswari. He's Nigerian. They've got a church out here. Kamo King, 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 this area. Kiro Dipote. No, Kiro Dipote. Kamo Mopila 
Iko kai radio Rainbow King Rainbow King area ini. Florida, kamu Florida. He he called me early this year because his wife had been diagnosed with uh, cancer of the colon. And he's a medical doctor by profession. He knew what that meant. And so the diagnosis was that she had to go into surgery immediately. And it's been a journey. So I saw his missed call. I couldn't get it yesterday. So I called him back. He said, I have a testimony for you. And I, I told him I'm going to tell you about it. So this is fresh from the box. <laughs> fresh from the bakery. And it's amazing he phones me today when I'm talking exactly about what I'm talking about. God knows how to work. So he says to me, he has good news for me. I said, what? He said, well, they actually checked his wife and did whatever they did. He used, used some medical terms. I, I, I should have written it down. But, <laughs> but, 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 but then finally they discovered that this cancer wasn't at a stage where she even needed surgery or chemotherapy. And whatever they did, she's totally cleared of it. Now, now, Mamela, Mamela, the cancer hasn't gone into remission. It's not there at all. And the doctors themselves said, this is the biggest miracle we've ever seen because they said, he told me, he said, listen, I have patients, six patients that we have lost through this kind of cancer that I can tell you about, but that it, but then he tells me the story. This is where I'm going. Are you listening? Are you listening? He said his wife was on a 40-day fast. Okay. You know, she would drink water, eat a little bit, but for 40 days. On the 20th day, she started passing out blood when she went to the loo. And that's how they went to check what's wrong, and that's how they discovered the thing. But he says, but his wife had felt impressed by God to go on the fast and to pray. And he says to me as a doctor, he said, had they not found that cancer that early, she would have died. And I said to him, I said, one of the biggest things we make a mistake in as Christians is to ignore those spirit-led impressions on our heart. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you, Masala? See, this prayer of desire is when God lays a burden on your heart. Now, let me explain what a burden is. The burden might differ in weight and in intensity. But either you find you are dreaming about something that you can't shake it. And what you have dreamt about, even though you, you don't need to necessarily have an interpretation, it haunts you. And you can't shake it off. And sometimes the prayer becomes a repeated thing. Like it is in this member of our church I was telling you about. When that happens, God is supernaturally by his spirit laying something on your heart. That you should take time to pray about until the burden lifts. Are you, are you, are you, are you, are you listening? 
Sometimes, as it has happened to me, people's names just come up. It just comes up in my spirit. Or I just think about them. In fact, my bishop knows by now, there have been several, it hasn't always worked out 100%, but I think 90% of the times, I've known ahead of time when people were going to pass. And I have gone and said, and I've said to them this and this, and the one time she asked me, are they going to pass? I said, yeah. And it didn't take long. They did pass. But their name came, dropped in your spirit. And you know, now, watch this person. When the name drops in your spirit, there's two possibilities. Either God is trying to just forewarn you, or most often than not, God is trying to get you to pray. But most people, unfortunately, never give themselves the time because we're busy people. Look at them, they say, you look very hectic when I think when you are very hectic. They were looking hectic at them. Why must we practice the waiting? When we wait, we set time aside. When we wait, we are saying, the only agenda I have is prayer. When we wait, we are saying, everything is set aside like the disciples waited for 40 days. Imagine 40 days. Can you imagine 40 days nonstop? Can you imagine us being like this for 40 days? Some of you, you can't even do 40 minutes. So God lays it upon your heart. Or this desire comes like a heaviness or a weight in your spirit where you have a sense that something bad is going to happen or somebody's life is in danger or things are not okay in somebody's life. Now, Mama Sometimes when how this comes, it could be in the early hours of the morning when you first wake up. Can you ask your neighbor tonight? Are you listening tonight? It can come in the form of a dream when you are just about to wake up. Why? Because in the early hours of the morning, when you just have just woken up. That is when your spirit is in the ascendancy. Your physical body has been at rest. Your mind has been quietened down. It hasn't stopped working. And so when you first wake up, your spirit is more dominant. This is why it is so important for you to engage in your spiritual disciplines first things when you wake up. Why? Because... You are mostly spiritually alert. Now, it differs with people. Some people, they are more spiritually alert at night. Just depends how you are wired. But for the most people, you find, when you first wake up, you have that about you. Now, Basalan, I remember in 1979, I said I was going to tell you this yesterday. I started feeling so burdened about our group of young people where we were in a youth club. Because much as we were fellowshipping together and going to youth club together, we had started allowing certain things to creep into our lives. You know, we were starting now, Hobalidi Afe, Brichola, 
Tira essa aí, trate. And I mean, we were just 18 years old, 17 years old. But the jawling had nothing to do with marriage. Nele was told. You know, Lankaza can work at this, you get quiet on me. And I'm going to preach more because I'm realizing I think we have a problem. It was really about lust. I mean, when you are a teenager or a young adult, I mean, your testosterone is shooting out your ears. <laughs> and if you put yourself in a situation where you are going to stoke the fire, the fire might just get out of control. So much as we were going to youth club, our spiritual life was degenerating. Some of your spiritual life is degenerating. You're going through all the motions, but your intensity is not the same anymore. In fact, if you want to know if you are moving on, you'll find that you are just going through the motions. You no longer engage with these things like you used to engage. Or if you used to be a prayerful person, the spirit of prayer has left your life. Yeah. So we were generating. And in, in the beginning of 1979, somehow, I started being concerned about this. When God starts tearing your heart about your condition or the condition of someone else, don't ignore it. It's the Holy Spirit beginning to work in your heart, in your spirit. I started being so concerned. And I couldn't get it off my mind. I mean, I, I thought about it. And Mamelang, when God starts sensitizing you about that, you start being aware of how far you have fallen. To an extent that I would sit in the service with everybody singing and dancing, but I couldn't sing and dance like that because I realized we're just going through the motions. This worship has gone more, is more academic than it is a heart activity. We are more into auto cruise, autopilot. We have become a, an academic Christian. The more I thought of it, the more depressed I became. Little did I know that God was laying it upon my spirit. I didn't realize that God was placing a burden on my spirit. I was young. I didn't know what I know. And then we were visited by an, a lady who came to our youth club around, I think it was uh, June. Uh, no, no, around May, June, I think it was. And, and she preached there. And, and after the service, she said, those who want to come for counseling can come and see me. So I went, and I, and I described to her how I felt. And this lady actually, and I was there with Pastor Kenneth Makob. I was shocked with what she said. She actually told me, she said, as I was preaching, I knew through the word of knowledge that there were two of you young people whom God was working on. And I, I mean, she doesn't know us. She's from Ghana. It's the first time we see her. I said, she said it was you and there was another guy who was standing next to you and he described it, it was my friend. At that time, Kenneth and I, 
are praying at school during lunchtime. We're praying for a revival at school and we're praying for a revival at the youth club. She couldn't know about that. And then I asked her to pray for me. She said, and I like what she said. She said, I'm praying for you, but keep it a secret. Don't tell others about it. He said, very soon God is going to start doing something. My heart became so burdened, Barcelona, that as I told you from March that year, when I came back from school, I would go to my Dutch Reformed church and ask my Domini if I could use the church to spend time in prayer because I, I was hungry and I was thirsty to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My heart was not at ease. My heart was troubled. There was something I knew it was missing in my life. I had to do something. So I spent days and days waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I remember in July of 1979, the 4th of July, 1979, as I got prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I prayed in other tongues. And then the following day, the 5th of July, 1979, it was a Thursday. If you what day it was. I woke up in the morning at home with this experience that had happened the day before. I was still thinking about it. I was still so engrossed in it. And I went into the kitchen at home. We lived in a four-roomed house. Two bedrooms. My parents were in one. My sisters were in the other. I was thrown in the dining room. I used to sleep on a folding bed. So, you know, I woke up and I went into the kitchen. That's how I developed the thing of praying in the morning. First time in my life. Woke up at four in the morning. Went into the kitchen to pray. And then I remember, and this happens to some of you when you are filled with the Spirit, as I knelt down to pray, there's a voice out here that said, you are not going to pray in other tongues. You only prayed in tongues because you were with those people. You didn't get the real thing. And some of you, that's how the devil has talked you out of praying in other tongues. But the devil is a liar. We're going to change that tonight in Jesus' name. And I remember as I knelt down to pray, I, I'd, I'd never experienced this before. I'd never experienced this before. As I knelt down to pray, I started praying. And if I may add, Basalana, the Holy Spirit is not going to take your mouth, open your mouth, pull your tongue out. Are you listening to what I'm saying? You've got to take the step to pray. And when you take the step to pray, only then does the power come upon your life. The Holy Spirit is not going to remove the blanket, pull you out of bed, drag you to the kitchen, make you kneel down, open your mouth, pull your tongue out, and kick you so that you pray. The Holy Spirit is not going to do any of that. You've got to do that yourself. You've got to be in it. But as I prayed, with all the noise in my head, and all this voice saying, you're not going to pray, I started praying and I started praying. And all of a sudden, it's like three minutes, five minutes into it, all of a sudden I started praying in other tongues. And I prayed in a way I'd never prayed before. All of a sudden, I was praying so hard and, and so loud and, 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 and I felt a heaviness and a weight and, and, and I started groaning in the spirit like my stomach is about to burst in half. I started crying and, and it was tears in everything. And, 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 and it was like for a while, I was, I was lost. I was lost in the spirit. I was praying. I lost all sense of time. I was not unconscious, but I became so aware of the spirit world. Barcelona, there's a place where you are so aware of the spirit world. 
so in tune, so in line, so in step, so sensitive, so in, 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 in walking side by side in the spirit. And that when I finally stopped praying and I said, Amen, when I opened my eyes, I'd been praying for an hour. I'd never done that before. And that hour felt like 10 minutes. But my heart was so burdened. My spirit was so burdened. It was almost like you are pressurized on the inside. And the only way to relieve that pressure is to speak in tongues. And depressurize was on the inside. It was like something is pushing me on the inside. But it was the Holy Spirit expressing the desire. Expressing the burden. The following day, I believe it was, or was it the day before, I don't remember. As I came back from school, and I'm telling my friend about how I got filled with the Holy Spirit. My friend Spiwe, Spiwe, as, as I'm walking with him, you know, and I'm sharing with him what had happened to me, and, and I'm not aware that he is so thirsty, he's so hungry. As I'm telling him about what happened, as we got to my church where I used to pray, he just stopped there, looked at me, he said, is there any reason why God can't fill me with the Holy Spirit? I said, no, there's no reason. He said, Do you, can you pray for me? Now remember, Basalanane, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just 18 years old. I've not been to Bible school. I'm not a pastor. All that has happened, I am filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. I said, all right, let's, let's go to the church. So we went into that church, and I said to my pastor, we don't even need the building. We will pray outside. So we stood outside to pray. I didn't know how you do this. So I said, all right, let's pray. Let's hold hands. We held hands. And, and I said, okay, let's pray. I just remember what he said. I don't remember what I said. I remember what he said as he held my hands. So you can picture, he's this side, I'm this side. We're holding hands. He said, Father, now is the time. I don't know what I said. We were hit by a force from heaven. No ashes. No ashes. We were hit. We were, I wasn't expecting that. Remember, in my church, I never saw people fall under the power. We don't know anything about ushering. We're standing outside. Outside, Basana. Komobung, outside. We're holding hands. When the power hit, I fell backwards. He fell this way. I can't and he starts speaking in other tongues. I start praying in other tongues. This was like well, 6.30 in the evening. Here's these two young people in July praying in tongues at the top of the hour. I, I, I wondered what my pastor was thinking or what are those boys doing. But whatever it was, we were... <laughs> when we got up, Bazalana, there were, there were stones stuck in his forehead. That's how hard he fell. We had to take them out. But no blood. No concussion. See, when the Holy Spirit takes you down, you don't need... Okay, let's not leave that one out. And so after we prayed, we were both wondering, hey, what's going on? We were wondering what's going on. And then the following day, we prayed for my friend, Jerry Lichella. So Spirit was the son of a, a minister. He's dead. They have the church, Momoroka North. Church of England. And it is a church, it's a beautiful church. Now, Chela, the late Jerry Chela was working at the time. He used to like to wear white pants. 
So he, he came from, so I don't know, Spewe, when he left me that day, I think he went to Chela and told him about the experience. So not coming from school, I went to visit Spewe to see how he was that day. Are you still all right? <laughs> so as we are talking, then he tells me, he says, no, I told Chela and he's coming from work. Can we wait for him? I said, no problem. So in a short while, Chela arrives, it was after six o'clock. And then he said, I told what happened. I told him what happened yesterday. Can you pray for him? So he said, all right. So we go into the church building. The three of us, we hold hands. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. I don't remember what he said. And the three of us are slain in the power of God. We all fall down and we start praying in tongues. Now, Chela is so enjoying praying in tongues that when he's praying, he's jerking like this. And as I check on red. It was interesting. Young person after young person after young person started coming, coming, coming. In fact, we have one of them tonight. Just can't some more pometing, I know. One of the young people we prayed for, yeah. He used to come all the way from Mzimlope, Atsaratreni. Come to Morocco North, and we would pray from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Young but, Pastor Anna, when we prayed, it was like there's, a, there's an earthquake. Because our hearts were so burdened. Our spirits were so burdened. There was just a strong sense of desire in our spirits. And we needed to give expression to that. Unfortunately, these days, people play around with tongues. They joke about it. Or people pray in tongues, Mara. They're untanting in English. No, they, they, they just stay on the surface. Their tongues seem to be rehearsed. Their tongues seem to be copied from somebody else. It is not born in the spirit. Or not only that. Because people don't spend extended time in prayer. They are not able to be taken into the deeper levels of praying in others' tongues. And so, when God places a desire on your spirit, it becomes something that happens in your life. In this book, Kenneth Hagin tells of a story. In the 40s where he started having this desire to see a move of God in the church. He started praying in 1944, 1945. And he said all of a sudden, it, it was like God began to place this desire on people in church. He says he remembers one day he was, he was, he was preaching and, and he told people, he said... I can sense that there's a move of God coming in the same way I've been saying. I can sense that there's a move of God that's coming. And he says, when he said that, he said it was like the people in unison just fell on their knees and some ran to the altar and they all began to pray. He says, it looked like a war zone out there. There was not a single person who was on their feet as people prayed. He says, that move of God came around the late 50s and the late 60s. It was the healing move that came into America. 
Where in the 50s and the 60s, there were healing evangelists that God raised. And there was a healing wave that swept America and other parts of the world. Where evangelists would come up and they would just pitch a tent and thousands of people would come. These are the days of people like Oral Roberts and, 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 and William Branham and, and, and A.A. Allen and many of these uh, men and women that God used mightily. These are the days later on where people like Catherine Kuhlman came up and they would, and they would preach. But, but all those healings and all those signs and wonders came because people gave expression to the desire that was spirit conceived and, and spirit born and spirit led and spirit initiated. Let me close because I want us to pray in a short while. When God begins to stir your heart with this desire, give expression to it. Learn if you are in a, in a place where you can pray and there's an agency for you to pray and it's possible that you can pray without cheating on your job, that you go away to a private place to give expression to it. Don't please start praying like this at your desk come miracle and you start groaning. And I encourage them. They'll chase you away. But find a place. And this is why I tell people, when you pray like this, please listen carefully. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul talks about the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, he warns, he says, uh, if, you, if you give a message in tongues, interpret so that those who occupy the room of the unlearned can understand what you mean. There's a group that Paul calls those who are unlearned. These are people who don't know spiritual things. There are certain spiritual practices that we don't do among people who are not born again. They will not know what we are doing. They will not understand what we are doing. Are you understanding what I'm saying? These are not the kind of things that you go parading around or it's a show off to show people how spiritual you are. These are things that we only do because only the mature people now. In a place like this, we've come to pray. So if you've come here, you've come here at your own risk. You've come here at your own risk. You, you knew we were going to pray. So we are going to pray and we're going to pray the way we pray. We're going to give expression the way the Holy Spirit gives expression. We're going to yield to the power of God. Can I hear an amen? And we're going to do what God said. And so, when this burden comes on your spirit, please, by all means, don't try to put it off. Excuse me. Because if you put it off, it's going to dissipate. If you put it off, it's going to get to a place where it wanes. If you put it off, you may find out later that something happens that you could have stopped. Often when this desire comes, there are several scenarios. Number one, it could be that maybe you are praying for somebody whose life is in danger. Number two, it could be that you are also praying somebody out of sickness and disease. Number three, it could be that you are initiating the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person. Number four, it could be that you are, you are praying ahead and going ahead. You know, this is what I like about prayer. You can pray now and affect what's coming next year and year after next. Ah, you're not hearing what I'm saying, Bazaar. You are sowing seeds today that are going to be born. So it could be that you are praying for a coming revival, a coming move of God. 
You are praying for the coming generation. You are giving birth to something that is coming. You are, you are, causing, you are, you are causing a stirring up of something in the heavens. Let me close, Bazalon. This prayer, therefore, of desire, and this prayer that comes as spirit initiated. Like I said the last time, I want to go back to that illustration. It is almost like how rain happens. Rain, particularly convectional rain, happens because there is an evaporation of water in the form of moisture that goes up into the heavens. And as vapor or moisture goes up into the atmosphere because it's cold up there, as it ascends with a drop in temperature, that water begins to condense. So condensation happens. And the more there's moisture that happens, is the more there's a lot of condensation that happens out in the clouds. Condensation is simply that moisture that has turned into the form of water, into the form of ice. Now for rain to happen, you have to have enough moisture going up. Because as you know right now, there are days when you see the clouds, you can see it might rain, but then it doesn't rain. It's not because condensation didn't happen, but it's because not enough moisture has gone up. It's, it sounds like some of you are praying, some of you. You just prayed long enough, but there was not enough moisture that went up. You just prayed enough just to almost get there. But the more you pray, the more the moisture goes, the more the condensation happens. How it rains is there is so much moisture that the, that the clouds cannot afford to contain the moisture and they just break out and it begins to rain. This is what happens with these desires and these burdens that God lays. God lays it upon your heart to begin to pray like that. Now this is what we're going to do this morning. There could be somebody or a situation that God has laid on your heart. It troubles you. You are not comfortable. You either keep thinking about it, keep talking about it, maybe you keep dreaming about it. It could be that, only the instrumentalist, it could be just that situation. Early hours of the morning it came up. Or maybe there's something now that's sitting awkwardly. I've heard, as I've been talking recently with several parents and listing out, there's a huge, huge concern that's there among parents concerning their children. And I'm not picking on the young people. But it's concerning. I don't know about you, Bazalan. I'm concerned about our young people. You know why I'm concerned? Because I see them run to things that we, the generation of 1976, walked away from. Because we knew what those things do.
Wir werden mir sagen, Alkohol ist one of the biggest destroyers of a generation. Ja. Ja. We are that generation that grew up with fathers who were too drunk to take notice. They were too drunk to be fathers, too drunk to be involved. We are that generation that our moms had to raise us up single-handedly because dad was not present. We are that generation that saw our fathers blow up money because the former apartheid system built what we call beer halls at the train stations. Most of our parents commuted by train because we didn't have cars. The taxi industry wasn't what it is today. No, the busing system was as good as it is today. So our parents commuted by train. And as they came back from working under horrible circumstances, having been maligned, dehumanized, abused, insulted, emasculated by a white racist system. The minute they got off the train, they were too angry, too frustrated, too demoralized. And the only way to try and deal with that is to hide in a bottle. We grew up seeing our fathers coming with a a small anyana thing wrapped in brown paper. Oh yeah. And they would drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. We saw what the effects of alcoholism did to our parents. We saw how it ran in our families. In our broader family, we saw that. I, I saw many, several of them who They were already grown up. Ever since I was a child, I, don't, I never remember a single day where I saw them sober. Where people would drink to a point that they would drink spirit. Pure spirit or pure alcohol. And so when 1976 happened, we burned down the beer halls. We went for the thing that destroyed our families and the aftermath is still there. Today, our children have gone after the same thing. And the liquor industry has made liquor glamorous. When they advertise, they look for the most beautiful, the most handsome. And they surround it with the best advert you've ever seen. And when people drink, their defenses come down. They cross boundaries. And then they do these pipes of theirs. What do they call it? Huh? Hubbly bubbly. What do they call it? Vuka pipe. Yeah? Vuka, yeah? 
What do you call it? What? Walker pipe. Yeah? Hawker. H-O-K-A-H-O, however. H-O? Hawker pipe. Yeah. And you see it in the movies, you see it in the in the music, whatever, there's, there's the smoking, there's the alcohol, there's the infidelity, there's the everything. And you think about it, they're still young. They, they don't know how they're going to pay when they're our age. If ever they will reach there. If ever they will reach there. You see them throwing money around and as though all there is to the world is just money. Booze and hawker and adultery. There's no future in that. <laughs> Listen, Basala. I was thinking about it yesterday. And the Spirit of God said, willpower alone will not change people. It starts with willpower. But sin is too strong for willpower. What we need is an encounter with the power of God. Because only the power of God and the power of the blood of Jesus breaks the hold of sin. These days when I pray, that's what my heart is burdened with. It's not the only thing. It's one of the things. When you see a generation gets exterminated. I don't know if some of you know that the studies reveal that in certain communities, in our countries that worked in the vineyards, who were remunerated by being given wine, when they look years later, there's an actual generation missing. Where a whole generation was wiped out because when, when men and women drink, the alcohol goes into their system. The children who are conceived, already they are suffering from this syndrome. What do you call it? Huh? Fa fetal fast. Fetal what? Fetal alcohol syndrome. So this child is already an alcoholic. Yeah. Through no choice of their own. The parents chose to bring an alcoholic. So, there's a, so you have that generation of those children. Think about what's going to happen. Imagine just a whole generation comprised of people with fetal alcohol syndrome. I'll close, Bazalan. I was speaking with one pastor who told me, he said, you know why I hate alcohol? I said, no. He said, I grew up in a house of alcoholics. He said, my father used to drink himself into a stupor. And my elder brother used to drink himself into a stupor. And he says, when my father was drunk, we were in trouble. Comes home, he pushes everybody around. Thank God at least he would finally fall asleep. 
says, when he's asleep and I thought at least I'm resting, says, I used to sleep in the kitchen, then my brother would knock, two in the morning. Yeah. From work, he went and drank, come back at two. First thing when he comes, he demands to have his food, even if he's not contributing anything. And if the food is cold, because we didn't have microwave ovens, then he shouts and screams, so he wakes me up. So I had to deal with my dad when he sleeps at 10, just when I'm sleeping, just a few hours later, now he's my brother. Since I grew up in a home where I had my dad and my brother pushing me around because of alcohol, he said, I was not a Christian, but I made up my mind, you'll never ever see me meddle with this thing. Yeah. I'm talking about the very wines that some of you are drinking. You are acclimatizing yourself. You look so nice with that thing in your hand. Unfortunately, with these things, they have an attraction and a force where you, you go for something stronger. Because now that one is no longer affecting you like it used to. Justify it all you want. Generations to come, you'll think about what some of us are preaching. You watch. But think about it. What if God can come through upon our young people? Instead of them being filled with the wine and the alcohol, why can't they be filled with the wine of the Holy Ghost? Why can't they be experience the power of God and walk in the fullness of the power of God? I don't know what it is. That's your desire tonight. But whatever it is tonight, I'm going to ask you to give expression to it in the next few minutes. Where you get before God, if you want to kneel down, if you want to stand, if you want to walk around, I'm going to ask you to pray. And let the Holy Spirit be the one who leads you and guides you. Let us pray together. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, pray about it. The name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 